to the sixth episode of 721, All That You Need to Know About Periods. I'm Shweta Gupta, a pediatric hematologist at the Indiana Hemophilia and Thrombosis Center at Indianapolis, and a very proud member of the Foundation for Women and Girls with Blood Disorders. My passion is taking care of adolescents with heavy menstrual bleeding. To those of you joining us for the very first time, the name of our podcast series, 721, helps us remember the definition of a heavy period. A period lasting for more than seven days, changing your pad or tampon every two hours or less, passing blood clots more than one inch or a quarter in size, are all signs of a heavy period. We know that even if someone does not meet the 721 criteria, excessive blood loss during periods that interferes with physical, emotional, social, and material quality of life is also considered heavy menstrual bleeding. Past episodes have covered topics including differentiating between normal versus heavy menstrual bleeding, red flags for diagnosing a bleeding disorder, demystifying intrauterine devices, and understanding options for IUDs, destigmatizing the pill, also known as hormonal therapy, and safe hormonal therapy in thrombosis. We hope you'll all listen, download, and rate all of these episodes on your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and on fwgbd.org. Well, this is a very special episode of 721, diving into the recent FDA approval of two new gene therapies for sickle cell disease. Dr. Alicia Nero joins us as our guest host in conversation with Dr. Kelly Acharya of Duke University to discuss the fertility implications of these gene therapies for patients with sickle cell disease. Dr. Nero, welcome, and I'll hand it over to you. Thanks so much for inviting me to be a guest host of this episode, Dr. Gupta. I'm Dr. Alicia Nero, a hematologist who cares for pediatric and adult patients affected by sickle cell disease. Today, we're here to discuss the context of this FDA approval of two gene therapies to treat sickle cell disease. This is an exciting time for the sickle cell community, given this advancement in this cutting-edge science and how it applies to our patients long-term. I'm joined today by Dr. Kelly Acharya to better understand the fertility implications and to get some answers to the questions patients are going to be asking their healthcare providers Dr. Acharya is a reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist at Duke University. She's board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and in reproductive endocrinology and infertility. And she serves as the co-director of the Duke Fertility Preservation Program and liaison for the Duke Prematurity Prevention Clinic. Her research experience includes optimizing success rates in IVF, the impact of environmental factors on fertility, fertility options concurrent with a cancer diagnosis, and the evaluation of fertility in conditions including endometriosis and sickle cell anemia. Welcome to 721, and thank you for joining both myself and the Foundation for Women and Girls with Blood Disorders. Thank you for having me. I'm also excited for these new advancements. We would like to dig right in with our questions. So to start, uh, what is the anticipated effect of these therapies on future fertility? So because these therapies involve treatment beforehand for the stem cell transplant, they will involve um, generally high-dose chemotherapy, or in some cases radiation, which will place the patients at significant risk of primary ovarian insufficiency or premature menopause. 
And that risk needs to be individualized for each patient in their particular situation. But I do think it's fair to say that at least 80% of patients who undergo conditioning for this treatment will experience low egg supply and or premature menopause. So for this reason, we do recommend considering fertility preservation beforehand. And I think it's great that this team has chosen to highlight the importance of this. So are we able to predict the risk of this premature ovarian insufficiency that you described? Well, when we think about the gene therapy itself, as your listeners know, um, this is going to use genetic tools to modify the patient's own stem cells. So the two approved gene therapies themselves are not predicted to have an effect on fertility, but it's really that conditioning before the transplant that um, people will need beforehand which is expected to cause that significant risk of infertility and premature menopause, probably on the order of about 80% of people. Okay, so if patients do decide to proceed with fertility preservation before these gene therapies, what options are available to adolescent and young adults? There are two basic options for female fertility preservation for adolescents and young adults. Um, So there's ovarian tissue cryopreservation, and this involves a surgery, generally to remove one ovary, and then freeze tissue from that ovary for later use. Then when that patient's ready to try to conceive, if they have gone into premature menopause, then that tissue could be put back via another surgery, which typically would bring back the patient's menstrual cycles and allow for them to try to conceive. The other option would be to undergo an egg retrieval beforehand and then to freeze individual eggs or fertilized eggs, embryos, um, that could be used in the future. So this option would include the first half of an IVF cycle or basically taking injections to grow and mature multiple eggs at once and then an office egg retrieval during which a needle would be used to get eggs out to freeze for later. So Dr. Acharya, patients are gonna be advised that they need to move forward with fertility preservation and have these assessments. Can you discuss a little bit the cost and the long-term expectations on the patient regarding being able to preserve fertility over time? Sure. And agreed, this is really important that patients be considered for fertility preservation, and we need systems in place to help ensure that this gets offered and then that patients are able to make use of this technology. What happens at our institution is that a patient's hematology team would initiate a referral to our fertility preservation navigator. And that navigator then helps to connect them to the fertility team for a consult. And one of the things that the Fertility Preservation Navigator also helps with is identifying any opportunities for financial assistance because we know that cost can be a big barrier to accessing these services. The cost of fertility preservation varies based on the patient's insurance, the state they live in, which method of fertility preservation they're going to pursue, In general, doing an IVF cycle for egg or embryo banking is going to run in the thousands of dollars. So we know that that comes with a high cost. Many institutions do have a steeply discounted cost for patients with a medical diagnosis like sickle cell disease. So for example, it's about half price at our institution. And then similarly, the storage of reproductive tissue comes with a yearly cost, typically somewhere in the order of hundreds of dollars. 
And there are also ways to apply for financial assistance or for a discounted cost for that. And our Fertility Preservation Navigator helps with that as well. Thank you for that explanation. Are there any specific considerations while preserving fertility for patients with sickle cell disease? Yes, definitely. So um, there are certain concerns that are really important to keep in mind for patients with sickle cell disease who are undergoing any method of fertility preservation. The first consideration is that a patient's eggs, whether those are frozen as eggs or fertilized eggs or as part of ovarian tissue, will still carry the gene for sickle cell disease. So that means that the sickle cell disease could be passed on to their future children, even though the patient will have undergone the stem cell transplant as part of the gene therapy. Another consideration is that we're advocating for performing fertility preservation before this gene therapy occurs. So that means that the patient will still be at significantly increased risk of having a vasoocclusive event or other complications during the fertility preservation process. So there are certain things that we can do to help minimize these risks. We can give hormone blocking medication during the cycle to try to keep the patient's estrogen levels low. Um, we can also make sure that the patient is very well hydrated prior to and during the egg retrieval procedure itself. And we can take steps to minimize the risk of complications like ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome or OHSS, which is one of the known complications of IVF. All right. Well, thank you so very much, Dr. Acharya. Uh, we understand this area is evolving very quickly and we're learning more each day. And I hope that uh, we can reconvene in the future to learn more about these advancements and the impact they have on the health of women and girls with sickle cell disease. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much, Dr. Acharya and Dr. Nero. And thank you all for listening. This episode will be a great segue to our next one, which is on sickle cell disease and reproductive health. If you enjoyed this episode of 721, please do leave a review on Apple Podcast and share this podcast on your favorite platforms, including Spotify, Apple, to help others find this podcast and learn from it. You can also listen to all episodes of 721 and find many other resources related to treating women and girls with blood disorders on fwgbd.org. Music